0: Welcome to Industry Focus,
1: the podcast
0: that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day.
1: I'm your host, Emily Flippin.
0: I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials.
1: Today we're talking consumer goods.
0: Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Friday, March 5th, and we're talking about the dip in tech stocks. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis. And I'm joined by Fool.com's daft day-to-day delinquent of drawdown deep dives, Brian Feroldi. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing great, Dylan. How are you? I'm doing okay. H- how's your portfolio doing? I think that's pro- probably the better question to kick off this show with.
1: Well, it really depends on what time frame you're talking about. <laughs> Over the last 10 days, not so good. Over the last 10 years, pretty good. So, I prefer to focus on the latter, not the former.
0: I think, I think that's a great way to put it Brian. Yeah, I think it is it is shocking to log in and I don't know about our listeners and our members but you know I am someone who checks my brokerage account every day. I don't act in it every day. I'd say in in any given year I may be doing something in my brokerage account in terms of transactions uh 10 to 15 times, right? You know 10 to 15 days. Uh but you know I check every day and to see uh you know a 5 or 10% swing in a in a couple day period is Drastic, and it it does give you pause. You're like, huh? I th- I thought those first couple numbers started differently l- last time I was in here.
1: That's how it goes with investing, and that's how it goes with uh with stocks and stock picking like us. If you're gonna invest in some of the greatest companies, the most dynamic, the biggest innovators, big drawdowns are gonna come, and they're gonna come swiftly. They are, and
0: you know we we lose sight of sometimes, particularly during rosy periods, is when we talk about the S and P returning seven to ten percent annualized that's an average number, right? You're, you're working to that annualized figure based on overall movements over long periods of time, um, and it doesn't have that consistent march that some of those calculators and retirement calculators will have you believe.
1: That's exactly right. Uh, if you look at the historic returns of the S&P 500, they are truly all over the map. You see plus 20%, plus 30%, minus 20%, minus 30%. You average it all out over long periods of time, you get a pretty satisfactory return. But when you're looking day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, anything can happen.
0: Yeah, anything can happen, and you will see even larger swings with some particularly high-growth stocks. Um, and we are going to be talking about that uh, in, in the middle of the show. I think maybe just to start things off, why don't we why don't we kind of set the stage for folks that have maybe been tuning in and out of news a little bit, uh, just with what's been going on uh, in the market, and then specifically in the tech space over the last two or three weeks.
1: Yeah, so the the stock markets started out twenty twenty one pretty pretty good. They were up uh, double digits uh, over the last. Uh, they were up double digits in uh, in mid mid February. Uh, over the last couple of over the last few weeks, uh, there's been a, a relatively uh, modest uh, sell-off. But uh, if you look at the Dow and the S&P 500, they've barely budged. They're only down a few percent uh, from their all-time highs. Uh, but the NASDAQ is down more than 10% from its uh, February high. So the NASDAQ is officially in "quote unquote" correction uh, territory. But even that doesn't really tell the whole story because uh, while the NASDAQ is predominantly uh, tech, uh, certain sectors of the technology market are down even more. A couple of ETFs that I track um, to look at what uh, cloud stocks and SaaS stocks are doing, which we love talking about on Industry Focus, are the SKYY and the CLOU, which are just two ETFs that hold a whole bunch of of, uh, SaaS stocks. Those are down 17% and 18% uh, from their uh, February highs. And a couple other uh, ETFs, uh, notably the ARK ETFs. Uh, ARK is a a group of uh, active uh, ETFs that have uh, really caught fire over the last couple of years. have become hugely popular with investors. Uh, Two of their bigger funds, the ARK Innovation ETF and the ARK Internet uh, ETF, both of which are very focused on high-growth tech stocks, those are down 28% and 26%. And again, these are just the... Averages. We've seen lots of stocks that are down much, much more than that. So it's been it's been rocky over the last couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, and I know that you know a lot of our listeners, um, you know, are Fool members or people that generally follow the Fool investing philosophy, and that means that they're probably a little overweight tech. Um, I imagine that uh, their portfolio probably looks a little bit mi- like mine, where you know there's a little bit of an overweight to growth-oriented businesses, um, a little bit more tech in the portfolio. And so, when that's the case, and we see that with some of these specific ETFs, you're going to have some outsized movements. Definitely the case in 2020 for me, also the case in 2021 for me.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, when, when, like as we said at the top of the show, when, when you're investing in uh, high growth areas of the tech market, uh, you have to think of them that they have, they're generally going to move uh, at a step change to the market in general. Uh, when the market goes up a little bit, these stocks are going to go up a lot. When the market goes down a little bit, these stocks are going to go down a lot. So that is the downside to the upside of o- owning great high growth businesses.
0: And I think one of the confusing things Brian for for people that have been following the market is you look at 2020 and you say boy just a rough year all around like really really tough year for a lot of Americans and a lot of people all over the world tough year in terms of how you would look at most economic indicators pretty solid year for the stock market. Even with the massive sell off that we saw, I think the S&P on a total return basis is about 17-18%. And personally, you know, one of the best years I've ever had, you know, investing. Um so there was a massive disconnect between what we've seen with the market and the economy. Um and and what's odd is you look at 2021 and I think some of the the major news that's moving these companies and it's the flip, right? We're seeing some positive signs and that's great, but it's actually not particularly good news for a lot of these high-growth businesses.
1: A lot of the high-growth stocks that you said really prospered in 2020. Uh, in in many ways, we're prospering because of uh, uh, of COVID. So much of uh, how we lived our day-to-day lives was disrupted in 2020, and that forced us uh, to, to live differently. People were working from home, uh, they were shopping from home like never before. So, it made complete sense that companies like Amazon, uh, Microsoft, uh, Google, Facebook—that uh, companies that uh, thrive in a work-from-home, shop-from-home kind of world—that their stocks just absolutely took off. And the worse the news was at the time, uh, the more drive there was for those for the for people to use their uh, their products and services. Now that we're kind of on the flip side uh, of things and the world is getting better faster than we would have thought, it does make some sense that investors are actually rotating out uh, of those stocks and into some of the stocks that have been left behind.
0: Yeah. And, and there have been a lot of positive movements, a lot of positive news uh, on that front recently. I mean, you, you go back to January and we were looking at uh, triple digit new case counts every single day in the United States, and we're down to about fifty to 60,000 uh, in, in recent days. So, I mean, that's a good thing. We're seeing the Johnson & Johnson one-shot vaccine was approved. That's a good thing. Uh, we're seeing positive signs on the uh, supply for, for Americans with the vaccine. That's another good thing. These, these are all things that I think we're generally rooting for. Unfortunately, it, it creates a spot where the valuations for some of these higher growth businesses are going to suffer
1: which just, again, proves to, proves to me that it's so hard to try and predict what the market is going to do uh, based on the headlines, right? Would, would you ever have predicted that terrible headlines in 2020 will lead to great returns in the stock market? And now we're seeing great headlines in terms of, uh, of, of the vaccine being rolled out faster than anticipated and new, new supply coming on market. And that's leading to the decline in the market. This is why I never try and guess what's going to happen next with the market. Just focus on buying awesome businesses.
0: Yeah, we joked in 2020 several times, you know, like, I could tell you the headline a week in advance, and you could try to trade off of it. And almost every time you'd be wrong. Right? <laughs> you know, it didn't matter what the jobs numbers were, or the new case numbers were, um, it, it it just seemed to always be the polar opposite of what you expected would happen.
1: That's exactly right. Uh, and, and that's nothing new, uh, to, to be honest. Uh, if you've been investing for a long time, I can't tell you how many times company, I, I've seen a company report just great earnings. Like everything in the earnings report looked fantastic and the stock fell. And I've also seen companies report terrible earnings. Just everything was bad across the board and the stock rose. So even if you have the news ahead of time, you can't necessarily predict what's going to happen next.
0: We we talked a little bit about the dynamics with 2020 stay-at-home stocks and, and how they really benefited that pushed up valuations. I do think it's worth taking one step back uh, and looking a little bit at long-term forces at play here. Because I, I think there's a little bit of this, too, where, you know, Brian, we have basically had... Uh, low interest rates for, in terms of modern history, unprecedented amounts of time. The, the Fed funds rate, you know, which is basically our baseline rate for all other debt in the economy, has been so low for so long. You look at the chart over the last 60 years, it has never been this low for this long. and That creates a lot of movement of money within the economic system. It, it pushes a lot of people to more of a risk on environment where they're willing to put money into stocks, willing to put money into real estate, um, because they're looking for a return. They're looking for yields and they're not able to get it as much in the debt markets. Um, within that category of, of equity investments, people looking for outsized returns are going to be putting money into growth stocks, right? That's, that's just where the money is going to flow. And so, on top of what we have generally seen over the last year or so, I think there's probably a decade long trend of money flowing in one direction and at some point people deciding maybe I'm going to take some profits um, and take a little bit of that risk off the table as well.
1: Yeah, which makes sense. And, and to your point about uh, yeah, just what's happening at the macro level uh, economically, yeah, interest rates have been terrible now for over, over 10 years. And if you need to generate an income uh, from your portfolio, you can't really do that from bonds. You can't do that from, from savings. Uh, so there is a whole bunch of money that is chasing returns out there. It does make sense in an environment like that, that asset prices get pushed up. When you combine that with the fact that the stock market has been roaring now for basically 11 years uh, in a row and couple that with the fact that a whole bunch of people were forced to stay at home and many of them took up investing for the first time as a hobby. Uh, it does make sense that stocks have had a tremendous run and that now we're seeing kind of the the reversal of that.
0: So Brian, we want to talk about a couple specific names that are very relevant to our full audience, you know, ones that our our members and our followers probably hold pretty widely uh, because, you know, if you look, you know, we're not, we're not talking about necessarily 10% drops. You know, in, in some cases we're looking at businesses that have been high flying that are now 30%. Off highs, and uh, I think that's something that, if you're a recent buyer, you know, probably cr- creates uh, some high blood pressure for you. Um, and and it might be the first time that you're really going through this. So I think maybe it makes sense for us to talk a little bit about the results from some of these companies, and then just philosophically how both of us are approaching this investing landscape.
1: Sure. One of the things I try and hammer home uh, all the time is that there's a difference between a business and its stock. Uh, A business sometimes can produce fantastic results, and its stock can go down. A business can sometimes produce terrible results, and its stock can go up. And we have a couple of examples here that really uh, highlight that. So um, Cloudflare, uh, the ticker symbol there is uh, NET, is a company that I've really started to get to know over the last couple of months. And this is a company that has done tremendously well, uh, both prior to to COVID-19, as well as basically throughout uh, the pandemic. Uh, We have, haven't really talked about this on the show uh, much, but Cloudflare at a high level provides web infrastructure and security uh, services uh, to, to, to the internet. Uh, they reach their their products and services will reach ninety nine percent of the world's internet users within one hundred milliseconds. So Cloudflare is a is a way to to speed up and get uh, internet content to people faster. If you look at this company's twenty um, twenty results and their Q four results, wow, are they having uh, a great time! In the fourth quarter alone, they added 10,000 new customers. That was up 10% sequentially, their customer ground, and they now have 110,000 total customers. 92 customers in the fourth quarter alone will spend $100,000 or more with Cloudflare. That brings their total up to 828, and their DBNR, dollar Bait net retention rate, retention, the good one, was 119%. uh, When you add it all up, Revenue grew 50%, gross margin was 78%, and their adjusted net loss uh, fell by about half to $8 million. Every single thing that I just said says, wow, they are crushing it, adding 10,000 customers uh, in a quarter. And yet, this company, since reporting earnings, is down 31%.
0: It's incredible, and and Brian, just as an aside, when whenever I hear you say retention, the good one, I always think of the evil twins: dollar base net expansion and dollar base net retention. <laughs> and now maybe expansion is the evil twin, but yeah, th- those are incredible numbers. And what, what I think is hard is like, we, we knew 2020 was going to be good. We're seeing kind of the, the lagging uh, you know, results coming in and then we're looking backwards. Um, unfortunately, we know that the market is always kind of looking forwards. right? What we see in terms of a market price is basically an aggregate of future value assessments of what could happen. Um, but I see all of that and I,
1: I see a business that seems to be doing just fine. I don't really see too many reasons for concerns. The reason there has to do uh, mostly with valuation. Uh, All three of the stocks we're about to talk about just had a heck of a run uh, in 2020. And while their businesses improved uh, mightily, you could make the argument that the stock prices got ahead of the business fundamentals. And not only were they pricing in great growth, they were pricing in even better growth than the growth that we've seen. So this could just be a case of a valuation reset. But this is why I try really hard to always focus on the business. If you just focus on the business and ask how cloudflare is doing. It's very clear that they are executing brilliantly.
0: I think focus on the business is the thing you have to remind yourself for stock number 2 here and that's Mercado Libre. And and, and even in a world where where covid didn't happen, focus on the business was going to be a huge part of the way you talked about this company because we we've talked about this company at length on the show before, but they work in I think 13, maybe 14 different countries. Different currencies, they repatriate back to the dollars. There's a lot of crazy stuff that happens with with foreign exchange um, and having to denominate all their results in dollars. So already, this is one where you got to look at the business metrics. You can't look at the, the revenue uh, quite as much, and the numbers have been stellar in in their case. Uh, you know, year-over-year growth for them recently has been somewhere in the fifty to sixty percent range. Uh, in The final quarter of twenty twenty, Brian, ninety-seven percent year-over-year growth, which is bonkers. I know, said I know, I said don't focus too much on the dollar figures, but I have to highlight that one. Um, and and the user numbers and and what they're seeing in terms of usage on their platform is incredible. Seventy percent user growth. Now it's seventy-four million items sold for their e-commerce platform, up hundred percent year-over-year. Total payment volume, uh, almost 16 billion for this last quarter, 84% growth in U.S. dollars, and to highlight the the disconnect there, 135% on a foreign exchange neutral basis, which is just insane. Those are those are great great numbers, um, and yet this is a company that is down almost 30%
1: since late January. Very similar to Cloudflare. It's like you dig through their earnings report and you're like, yep, that looks good. Yep, that looks good. Yep, that looks good. The business is executing flawlessly, but the stock is not responded since January. Now, again, if you back up and look at how did they do throughout 2020, the company had a tremendous run. So, this is, again, more of a valuation reset and a sector rotation amongst investors uh, as opposed to something going wrong with the core business.
0: Yeah, Mercado Libre shares since January 1st, 2020, up 150%. I think anyone who bought back then, even with this dip, probably feeling okay. Um, what it what is hard is if you are one of the newer buyers. And, and I think in Cloudflare's case, those returns, it's about 270% since January first, which is, you know, market thumping. And uh, you know, one of the other elements I guess we we should probably touch on, Brian, is just, you know, 2020 set really hard expectations for new investors. You know the idea that you could buy something and six months later have it be worth two or three times what it once was—that uh, doesn't usually happen. And it was happening for a lot of names, particularly a lot of very popular names in the market.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, it was a 2020 was the weirdest year of investing I, I've, ever, I've ever, I've ever, I've ever, I've ever been through. And if you only started paying attention to the market anytime time from March 2020 until now, the only thing that you have known is instant success by any company and it instantly goes up and you are instantly rewarded uh, for, for, for buying and holding whether it was a week a month or, or a three month period, that's what you that's what you experience. And for a lot of people that have been started investing over the last uh, over the last year, uh, what they're seeing now is really the first time that 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 hasn't worked and that they've actually experienced what can happen when you in, invest uh, in the market. So it makes it, it, it's really it's really challenging for, for anybody that's got started over the last year
0: maybe the story of 2020 was Zoom. And like, I think you know, if you didn't know Zoom because your company used it, you learned it quickly, right? Because a friend or a family member wanted you to use it. Um, the, the, the video communication app just saw incredible adoption in 2020. And I think, I think they jumped about four or five years in growth adoption uh, with where things were last year.
1: Totally. I mean, Zoom had the year of years and how many earnings reports did we go through of theirs and said, is this the greatest earnings report of all time? Like, is the beat that came out here the greatest that we've ever seen? And the fourth quarter was just more of the same. The number of Zoom customers that have 10 or more employees uh, that are signed up grew 470% to 467,000. The number of customers that will spend more than a hundred, $100,000 with Zoom over the next year grew 156%. The dollar-based net retention rate, retention, the good one, that was above 130% for the 11th quarter in a row. What does that mean for the financial statements? Revenue growth of 369%, adjusted net income growth of 839%, and management issued some pretty bullish guidance for the, for for 2022 fiscal year 2022. Uh, for the full fiscal year, they expect to generate a revenue of 3.77 billion. That would represent growth of 42% off of the other stellar numbers that we just uh, read off. And they expect to uh, to grow their uh, their profits, although at a much much slower rate. And keep in mind, every time that Zoom has issued guidance, it's blown it away. I mean, the company has established a a culture of of issue low guidance and then blasted off. Uh, So the numbers out of Zoom have just been phenomenal. There's no other word, phenomenal. And yet, this stock is down 41% from its October 2020 high and 26% since January. So yet another case of the business executing brilliantly and the stock going down. Yeah.
0: If you're a recent shareholder, uh, maybe a little bit more concerned, if you've owned it since the beginning of 2020, you're, you're looking at close to 400% returns, which is, uh, I, 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 I don't have the words for that. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're not really used to seeing anything quite like that. Um, I think what, what is hard for people is if you got your initial slug for any of these companies, your first buy for any of these companies recently, um, you are looking at this downturn a lot differently. Than someone who has been a long-term shareholder, and in my case, you know, I'm, I'm a Mercado Libre shareholder. I've been for years. Um, I'm I'm sitting on multi-bagger returns with the stock. It's not as concerning to see a 30% dip. It's a little bit harder to hear this if you bought your first shares of the company in the last couple of weeks.
1: That's exactly right, and that just just shows reinforces to me that you have to take a multi-year uh, outlook with with any of these stocks because what the stock does and what the business does over the over the short term are are completely different from each other. As we've seen with all three of these companies, great results, terrible stock returns. Great results, terrible stock returns. But if you zoom out and look over longer periods of time, great business results. Always lead to great stock results. You just have to give uh, the market time uh, to recognize that because there are so many forces at play uh, in the short term. That's why we always talk about how's the business doing? Do we like this business over the next three, five, and 10 years? And I've owned Mercado Libre since 2010 or, or 2011. Mercado Libre, I have seen go through so many ups and downs. It's the kind of stock that doubles and then falls 60% and then goes up 150% and then falls 50% and then goes up and then trace sideways. And it just goes all over the map. But if you zoom out and look at the long-term picture, it's been it's been my one of my biggest winners ever. And whenever I buy it and whenever I own it, I just have to say, I own this business for a long period of time. And I just accept that I have no clue what's going to happen over the next day, week, month, or year.
0: Brian, you are a must-follow on Twitter for a variety of reasons. Uh, you are a nice calming voice when things are going a little crazy, but you are also excellent with graphics. And, and I think one of, the, one of my favorite things that I've seen come out of your Twitter account was a look at, I think they were all stocks that have 10-bagged, or, or stocks that have basically put up multi-bagger or 1,000% returns, and the declines that they have all experienced at various points. And I I don't remember all the stocks offhand, but I think it was Amazon, Netflix, and several others. And and it's a good reminder, you know, (laughs) highly disruptive businesses wind up going through some really sharp corrections from time to time.
1: And what's really interesting about that is not only do highly disruptive businesses do that, really stable, boring businesses uh, often do that. Uh, Warren Buffett has pointed out that Berkshire Hathaway, top tick to bottom tick, has fallen 50% four times uh, since he's become uh, chairman and, and taken over. Four separate times, Berkshire Hathaway, big, stable conglomerate, as, as reliable as it gets, has also seen its share price get cut in half. What do you expect of high growth companies like Netflix, of Amazon, uh, of Tesla? Their stocks are going to be even more volatile than that. So, if you are going to buy individual stocks, or if you're going to put money into the market, the price that you pay for long term returns is occasional short term volatility. And if you're, you just have to be willing to pay that if you want to generate great returns.
0: Yeah, and and we know, you know, if 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 you are thinking of this way as you are going into your buys. It's a little bit easier, right? You can be planned and you can say, okay, I'm going to be buying to this over time, going to maybe build out the position in three, four, five purchases, spread it out, dollar cost average, uh, keep a cash position on the side in the event that you know there are some interesting buying opportunities. I think a lot of people are looking at things right now and saying, interesting buying opportunity, right? It's it's nice to get something on sale. Um, if you happen to be in that position, I think this is a much easier thing to encounter. The the thing I will say to folks that are relatively new to the market. Um, or maybe are new investors in some of these high-growth businesses that have really taken a whack, is think about, the the core thing I come back to is, think about whether the thesis is intact. That's the easiest shorthand thing I can come back to when I see a lot of red in my portfolio. And in the case of Mercado Libre, is e-commerce going to continue to build out, really across the world, in, in a new market where they own it? Yes digital payments, is that going to continue to build out over the next couple years? Yes. Are they going to be the market leader? Most likely. Even though there's a 30% dip there, everything that made me originally buy that company is still there for that business.
1: That's exactly it. When you're going over an earnings report, the question, when I'm going to go over an earnings report, the question I'm always asking myself are, is the thesis on track? Is the management team executing? Are they adding more customers? Are their margins stable or improving? Is revenue growing? Are they are they launching new products and new services? When you dig through all three of those earnings reports that we just talked about, the answer is yes, 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 across the board. All four, all, all three of those companies are just executing uh, brilliantly. Uh, if they can continue doing that for a long, long period of time. I am 100% convinced that all three of those stocks will be higher in three years and in five years and in 10 years than they are today. So that's why you have to focus exclusively on the business and do your best to ignore the stock.
0: Yeah. And and I think what is immensely helpful is, you know, we we talk about investing journals all the time and and the idea of tracking thoughts, you know, and there are a lot of different ways that you can do that. You can have a physical journal, you can have a notepad. Some people use Twitter as their diary for that kind of stuff because there's public accountability. That's awesome. I think with anything you own, I think in, in two sentences, have the summary of why you own it. As long as that continues to be true, it's it's a really simple way to gut check yourself when you see scary headlines or where you see a lot of red in your portfolio. As long as those things continue to be true, you're on the right track, especially if you're thinking 3, 5, 10 years.
1: I love that, and yes, I've been using an investing journal for for several years. Exactly what you just said. Whenever I'm about to, whenever I'm about to buy a stock, I go through and I write down uh, what's the price today. What are the few reasons why I'm buying that stock versus all the other stocks that exist? And then I periodically go back and look and see. Look at my past decisions. And when I view some of my past decisions, and I just know, I know the outcome. Like, boy, that was a dumb stock to buy. It's useful to sit go through and see why was I thinking what I was thinking then. Because it's easy to tell yourself if something doesn't work out that uh, you you made a mistake. But when you're actually reading your rationale, it can prevent you from making that same mistake again.
0: One layer I'll add to that, Brian, is if if you really want to hold yourself accountable, write down why you sell stuff when you sell it. Uh, I know that we don't really talk about selling things too often, but w- one thing I have noticed is pretty much everything I have sold, it's been the wrong decision. Uh, <laughs> and, and what I haven't done is tracked the new money that that I put it in, and really what the opportunity cost was of doing that. Uh, but there, you know, there are businesses like Chipotle and, and Costco where uh, I I, I knee capped what would have been pretty strong results uh, and and pretty good returns, just because I was interested in other ideas and had limited money. Um, and so, in addition to understanding why you buy, if you're looking to improve over time, you know, and just kind of holistically improve your investing process. Understand why you sell and remember why you sell as well.
1: Totally. Uh, all of my biggest, all of my biggest, most blunderous mistakes have been uh selling. And I've bought a whole bunch of bad stocks. I bought a lot of bad stocks over time. But I sold Dexcom for eight dollars. Eight dollars. That company is over four hundred, uh, over four hundred today. So every other good selling decision that I make was overwhelmingly uh, the amount of money that I I missed out on by selling Dexcom uh, for eight dollars uh, has has uh, has not been made up by all my good selling decisions. So yes, like you, whenever I've made a, all of my worst decisions, usually have the word sell in them.
0: <laughs> Those are some good humble brags, there, Brian. <laughs> Um, and and I, I mentioned the selling stuff because I'm sure there are some people that are thinking about that right now, you know, and and are looking at the declines and are thinking, you know, it, it might make sense for me to to move out of these. These aren't performing the way I expect them to. Um, look at the long term charts for some of these businesses. I think Mercado Libre in particular does a great job of illustrating, the dips come with the long term appreciation, but. If you think the thesis is intact, if you think the mega trends that are pushing those companies forward are going to stay there. And I think for all these businesses we talked about today, that's certainly the case. I don't think that uh, we're moving away from e-commerce. I think we're only becoming more dependent on internet infrastructure. You know, companies have seen the value of Zoom, right? It's, it's something where, you know, the, the web meeting is here to stay and we're increasingly getting decentralized with our workforce. Um, you're probably in okay shape.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Mercado Libre is one of my largest holdings, if not my largest holdings. It depends on the day, uh, what's happening with Mercado Libre, uh, essentially. So, yeah, uh, I've owned this stock for many, many years. Uh, yes, I'm down from what it was worth uh, a few weeks ago, but uh, like you just said, I have no plans to sell this company. Everything that I see when I dig to their earnings report says the thesis is on track, and I want to own this company for a long time.
0: Same for me. So if you're so if you're sitting there holding Mercado Libre, even if you're in the red, you're you're a fellow shareholder along with Brian and I, <laughs> and that's the power of the community, right? I, I think that that's also one of the things as we wrap up here, Brian. I'll, I'll mention last is just, um, it's it's helpful to have supportive voices. Uh, and and I find Twitter's surprisingly good for that. You know, for all of the things that uh, Twitter brings into the world, I, I think that the investing community, the Fool investing community, and and some of the other, um. Folks on Twitter that are really long-term oriented are great reinforcement for that. We try to do that here at the Fool, and I think selfishly we get we get to do that with our colleagues a little bit more because we're talking all the time about stocks. Um, and I know that some of our members may not have their voices um, so available to them, but that's what we're here for,
1: right? There's nothing like a good community around you. If you are interacting and engaging with a strong community of like-minded people that also buy and hold great companies for long periods of time, uh, they can help to talk you off the ledge uh, if you are having a bad day in the market. So, whenever I see big time red and I'm feeling down, I fire up full Live and I, I see what other people are saying. I go on Twitter and send out messages to uh, to people I know I and respect. I go on the Motley Fool's discussion boards and, and read posts from some of my favorite people. Uh, every single time, it helps me feel better better and refocuses me on the long-term. So, totally, don't invest alone, invest with other good people.
0: Yeah. We're just lucky enough, Brian, to get paid to talk about it together and get to enjoy that community as part of our jobs. I'm always happy to have you on and always happy to talk about this stuff with you.
1: Always love being here, Dylan. Thanks for having me.
0: Listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus.fool.com or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and Molly fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for all his work behind the glass today, and thank you for listening. Until next time, fool on.